Hello and a warm welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Tuesday, the 9th of February 2020. Mark Penders on the US East Coast and I'm Jenkins in London. Inflation is rapidly becoming one of the main focal points for 2021. Central banks may be downplaying the risks and after years of undershooting their targets, that's no great surprise, but some investors are starting to think otherwise. Market inflation expectations are moving up again, with some gauges from swaps and index-linked bonds hitting their highest levels in the States for more than two years and in more than a year in the Eurozone. The 10-year US break-even rate, so the difference in yields between the 10-year Treasury note and its inflation-protected counterpart, touched 2.21% yesterday, while the US 30-year bond yield broke above 2% for the first time since February 2020. Even the yield on Germany's 30-year bond closed above zero for the first time since last September. The accelerating vaccine rollout has boosted optimism at economic recovery prospects, and that's been reflected in commodity prices. Copper is now up 5.4% since the start of a year. Lumber's up almost 7.5%, while United Nations food price index rose from eight successive months in January to its highest level since July 2014. And to make matters worse, if all prices can just sustain current levels, by the end of March, they'll be up around 180% on the year. So crucially, if inflation is to trend higher, it will be doing so from historically and in many cases, persistently weak levels. And it's important to remember, of course, that central banks have been pursuing higher inflation for some time now. But is this beginning of payback time for the extraordinary fiscal and monetary stimulus we've seen globally over the last year or so? So, Mark, nicely mm-hmm, told mm-hmm. we'll get the January CPI update tomorrow. And I saw that Bill Clinton's former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers is worried that Biden's 1.9 trillion COVID package might be too aggressive. Is the Fed expressing any concerns yet? Uh, no, not on the too aggressive side. Uh, I think the Federal Reserve's position is uh, very clear that um, – they will uh, act quickly if inflation does appear and, and um, to stem it uh, as long as it's, it's in this uh, sustainable plus 2% area for some time. Uh, and this is their inflation averaging. But if it were to go haywire and things were to take off, I think the Fed would be on it right away. Right now, their concern is completely the opposite, and that is to, um, you know, repair the labor market, especially the the lower end of the uh, labor market, which has been decimated. So um, that's their primary concern. Inflation is a secondary concern, uh, and we haven't seen. Um, in the actual prices, the things that the Federal Reserve uh, policymakers track is pretty dead. I mean, the, the core PCE prices we have uh, came out for December um, at, the, at the end of last month, 1.5% for the core, um, and that is um, l- literally unchanged through the course of, uh, I'm just looking at the graph here, uh, from July, one4 has ranged from 1.4 to 1.6 or 1.5. So that's not any progress. And that's their essential um, central um, uh, Federal Reserve gauge is the core PCE. Um, And uh, uh, we have tomorrow we're going to get the consumer prices and Conaday's expectations there are 1.6% year-on-year rate. Well, so that's up one-tenth. But 
the month on month, which is is what really is going to move the markets, is going to is only 0.2, which is a very modest uh, subpar, or uh, on the weak side, a monthly change. So there's not a lot of expectations there. But speaking of expectations, tomorrow we're going to get at 10 o'clock the Atlanta Fed's business inflation uh, expectation year ahead reading that came in at 2.2 percent in. Uh, what was a January reading? This will be for February. They they do their um, sample very early in the month, and they're out. They're one of the first February indicators out in the U.S. calendar. But they actually call that two tenths, and they never say anything big. They said in their report that it was a significant increase. Now, it is. It takes it to a multi-year high. Uh, looking back, maybe to late to December 2000, late 2018, but that is up about six tenths from the low in September. So there is, and we've been seeing it, Jeremy, in the PMIs and in the regional um, business surveys, input costs are going through the roof. And there's been even some talk of, um, of selling prices that passing through to their customers um, to a, a significant degree for these surveys, but these surveys for the last uh, dozen years have had no uh, inflationary pressures. So, um, what we about are wages? What about wages? If I can interrupt, you had an employment Wait, report last week, last that's Friday, right. wasn't it? What's going on there? Well, it popped higher, or it stayed. It it, it was revised higher at a, at a just above five percent rate, five point four percent rate. Um, that spike, that was uh, that spiked with the loss of the um, low low wage jobs, the public facing service jobs. Um, that spiked. Five percentage points back in uh, March and April to eight percent, and it's kind of uh, gyrated since then. It's a hard, it's a hard one to read mm-hmm. to see if we're going to get any wage inflation coming through because it, uh, of the distortion of the of the base right. of the data. So, um, but the direction of that is a little higher. I mean, we hit a low there of four point four percent in October. I mean, we're at five point four now, but like I said, that's a hard one to read. Um, but uh, what's not hard to read are where inflation is <laughs> appearing in force, and that's, um, for instance, in the stock market. It, it, we have a, a Canada has a, a, a global market update every day where we have tables, and at the bot at the tables you show year-on-year gain for the Dow at 7.9 percent yesterday. Okay, set. That's a year. This time last year. We've had this gigantic p- pandemic, and the outlook for American industry is up 8%. That isn't um, based on an objective outlook. That's based on you know fiscal stimulus, monetary stimulus, you know the feeding frenzy, and, and the Nasdaq is up 46.9%. And housing, and we're also seeing in housing double-digit increases in housing. So that's where the inflation is appearing. Whether that's going to Correlate to the consumer products and services has yet to. And I guess that's the question, isn't it? It's whether you're going to start getting some of these bubbles we're seeing and indeed been seeing now for some while in financial market starting to fill over into the real economy. And I suppose people like uh, Larry Summers, who's, you know, who's looking at this you know, near $2 trillion stimulus at a time where I guess you know, the US economy is still doing sort of OK. Expectations or forecasts for the real economy seem to be OK. And yet they're still looking to pile this, this amount of money um, as, as additional fiscal stimulus. Is it really? Really necessary, I suppose, is what it comes down to. Um, 
from my side, though, I mean, it's, it's well, I suppose it's a similar sort of situation, but you kind of think, well, is it really worthwhile even worrying about inflation as far as Europe's concerned? Um, we have, uh, I suppose, a, well, a, a, a pretty a pretty comparable pattern in terms of the purchasing manuzobas here in the sense that um, you know, we, we've seen indications of rising input costs. And as you mentioned, that's been going on for some time now. But now, whether you believe these surveys or not, I mean, output prices, according to the Eurozone PMI, well, they fell from the 11th successive month um, in terms of January. So it's really suggesting that you know, output prices remain very soft. The producer price prices on year on year, they're still in negative territory. Yes, the monthly numbers, the core numbers have finally started to sort of turn the corner. So, but so you're not seeing very sluggish. The PMIs didn't show any P, uh, pass through? No, um, on the contrary, in Europe at the moment, if you take these numbers at face value, it suggests there's an almighty profit squeeze going on um, across uh, Euro European industry because we've had input costs rising for well, some considerable while now, albeit at different rates. But output prices month after month are cut, sometimes by a lot, sometimes by not a lot. So essentially, the, you know, the, the profit margins are being squeezed, something rotten at the moment. Um, I suppose the good side of industry, if you like, is the fact that wages are really going nowhere. I mean, wage data out of Europe tend to, well, they're quarterly for a start, which isn't particularly helpful. They lag well behind what you get. But the third quarter figures um, actually showed a, a deceleration in the annual negotiated wage rate from what's just under 2% in the previous quarter, just 1.6%. So that's hardly going to be regarded as being particularly inflationary. But I think you know here it's all this stuff is coming at a time when you know, in the intro we talked about you know, rising commodity prices in general, uh, and of course in Europe we've recently just had this um, reversal of a cut in German VAT. We'll be getting also uh, the reversal of the UK cut in VAT. That's due to come in at the uh, end of March. So there are going to be a number of one-off factors which help to boost prices at the same time, crucially as we've seen this rebound in oil against um, the backdrop of exceptionally soft prices last year. So I suppose in terms of some of the headline numbers at least, uh, we're going to get you know, signs of inflation going up, partly just due to mathematical effects rather than actually you know, what's happening in terms of the underlying picture, as hard as that is to work out exactly you know, what's going on at the moment anyway because of COVID and so on. Hey, uh, let's uh, turn back to financial in, uh, inflation in the financial markets. Now, I'm looking at the year-on-year -year gains, and this is our table again. Um, they're extraordinary in the U.S., uh, and they're also very, very high throughout most of Asia, uh, led by the Kospi at almost 40%, and the Taiex at 36%, that's Taiwan's at 36%, and India's Sensex is at nearly 25%, the Nikkei at about almost that much. But you look at Europe, the, okay, the FTSE is down... Uh, 12.6%. Uh, the IBEX, Spain's IBEX is down 16%. France is down nearly 6%. Italy's down 4%. Germany's up 4%. But that's nothing. Why do you think the European stock markets, has there been less immediate stimulus uh, there, Well, uh, whether fiscal and monetary? 
I think a large part of it, and hooray for economics once in this case, is the fact that you look at how hard the US economy was hit um, by COVID in 2020. And it, it was really small compared to what we saw happening across a large swathe of Europe. And you picked on, say, the likes of the FTSE, which is still, let's be honest, struggling. As you say, we're nowhere close to where we were before the uh, the COVID struck. Well, in large part, that's because the UK was one of the weakest performing uh, of the European economies as far as last year was concerned. So I think, you know, to the extent that such issues as fundamentals and how an economy is performing still has some kind of a say in how stock markets um, stock markets perform, then the relative you know, underperformance we've seen coming out of Europe certainly suggests that we should at the very least be well behind what you're seeing on your side. In terms of stimulus, I think, yes, it's fair to say as well that the, the European side of the stimulus has been pretty poor. Uh, the UK barn lashes actually hasn't done too bad. It has been significant fiscal stimulus and the Bank of England was extremely quick to uh, to loosen the reins as well. But I think when you really stand back, you know, that as we saw during the global financial crisis, crisis. It was the US which really acted first. It acted most aggressively as a result of which it emerged from a, a shallower recession uh, much more quickly than you know, the likes of, of Europe did. Um, what else should we be talking about? I guess um, in, ter in terms of Europe, while we're on it, um, Italy I've got to mention just because it's return of Super Mario which is uh, appears to be one of the really good pieces of news for European financial markets at a time when we've seen well European bonds pretty well tracking higher or yields tracking higher alongside their uh, US counterparts uh, breaking uh, the pattern has been Italy where the markets have taken news that um, former European Central Bank chief Mario Draghi uh, who's been invited to form the next Italian government and apparently if you believe what's the talk so far it looks like he's going to succeed in doing it as well. Um, his potential move into the hot seat there has been seen as a major rallying call as far as BTPs are concerned. It will appear that you know, looking at, well, you're going to have now a very pro-European person uh, heading up the country. He's also, of course, seen as being instrumental in helping to, to save the euro during the crisis, uh, the exchange rate crisis we had um, when he came out and effectively you know, mentioned the, the key words that the ECB would do whatever was necessary to ensure that the euro survived. He so came in after plus. Greece. Is, is that right? He came in after the Greek um Yes, that's right. I mean, he well, he had he served his full two terms. Um, the classic thing was when the, it was the Greece the Greek debacle, and we had effectively Greece standing up uh, to the European Commission and saying, "Well, look, we're not prepared to accept uh, the rules you're laying down if we'd get any kind of bailout package." And that was when markets, yeah, really did start to think, "Well, perhaps this is going to be the end of the euro." And uh, Mario Draghi stood up and said, "Well, look, we're going to do whatever's necessary to make sure you know, the euro survives." And of course, at the end of the day, um, you know, his, his promise was never actually tested. The markets took him at face value. And ever since then, we haven't seen anything like the strains uh, in European or Eurozone financial markets, I should say, that we did then. It's going to be interesting. And, and, I mean, yeah. And, and the politics is dividing up the, the fiscal stimulus that's coming from um, the well, uh, European and this is the interesting part, because at the end of the day, I mean, Giuseppe Conte, the previous Italian prime minister, he fell simply because one of the smaller parties withdrew their support from his coalition over how they would get hold of and spend uh, the COVID rescue funds coming out of the EU commission as part and, of this. And big, this is hundreds of billions package. of euros going to Italy? Yep. 
That, that's right. Europe, Italy will be one of the main beneficiaries of this. Now, it seems as it stands at the moment that Draghi has got together, well, a number of parties almost from either end of the political spectrum. Now, the fact that they didn't like what Conti was trying to do, it's not completely sure that Draghi is going to be able to get through whatever it is that he wants to do. So it may be he'll end up with a short term honeymoon and then things start falling apart again because the coalition members can't agree with each other. But, you know, for the time being, for what it's worth, it does seem that, you know, the uh, BTP investment are more than happy the way things are going so but he's not coming out of the political realm so his is he Technic a realm. member he, he's no, a member of a centrist political party uh, well i guess i'm to extent he's a to extent he's a politician which he isn't he would be uh center left oh, okay. um, but effectively he's not a member of a political party so he will be a technocrat in the same way that conti was and of course this is one of the other issues for italy you know he'll come in but he doesn't have his own mandate he's just been kind of picked from nowhere look can you form a government um mm. so he's really going to live off his reputation so being italy will he survive or or not watch this space as they say mm. um on well, inflation least monetary policy lights i should mention the bank of england last week because that's quite an interesting one um has been obviously a lot of speculative speculation about negative interest rates in the uk but the decision last week was to make no changes um now the bank did at least keep the jar keep the door ajar to uh, potentially negative interest rates because they asked the prudential regulatory authority to ensure that the banking system could implement negative interest rates if needed after a six month period but the votes for no change were unanimous nine zero on both quantitative easing what's no surprise but also on negative interest rates too so i think the bottom line out of this little lot seems to be that although you can't rule out another rate cut in the uk and go into negative territory it seems as if at least for the time being anyway they don't think such a move would be net, a net beneficial uh, beneficial effect on the on the uk economy so negative rates in the uk it seems are probably you know ruled out at least for the time being um uh, last, we're talking about inflation. Let's shift back to the eurozone because you had the harmonized inflation um, consumer, and that shot up higher, right? And, yeah, and again, uh, this is one of those things which has come at just the right time. You know, amidst this creeping talk, well, ooh, is this is it, all this stimulus going to lead to inflation in 2021? So, came for those people who believe that inflation will be a problem. It really was perfectly timed. So, as mentioned, we had these um, harmonised the flash data for January. Now, we knew they were going to go up simply because uh, VAT had gone back up in Germany. But we saw the headline number rise from minus 0.3%. It had been stuck in negative territory for, what, four months now, up to 0.9%. So that's a 1.2 percentage point increase. And you can only get a few pips really out of that from the German VAT hike. So it was a significantly stronger than expected and, result. And this series hadn't even moved for, for several months. It was like dead, dead yeah, just at the zero right. line. Yeah, Stuck at minus 0.3%, I think, for was it three, four months in a row. Um, and the other interesting fact was that the core rate, um, there's a number of core rates, but the, the narrow rate that the market looks at, that had been running at 0.2%, so plus 0.2, but that itself was a record low. And that jumped up by 1.2 percentage points to 1.4. So on a monthly basis, that's a very chunky increase, which, of course, I, I this has got you know, inflation alarm bells going and people are told you so we're going to have inflation this year. 
Now, I do think yeah, there are a number of distortions. I mean, okay, you've got G German VATs a bit of it. I think there may be some timing issues with the winter sales, which came in early and late, according to which country you're looking at, which may have messed things up a little bit as well. But you know, it's, it's interesting, certainly, because it, it's kind of hard to put your finger on, well, look, it's simply due to this, therefore don't worry about it. Is it a one-time thing now? The next I, month it's going to be flat, or is it going to be the beginning of something? I Well, for what it's worth, I, I think, well, there's two aspects. I think in terms of the core rate, I think that's probably it. In terms of the headline rate, of course, you're going to have these um, increasingly positive oil price um, pressures coming through because of the, the weakness of oil prices a year ago, which will tend to make for upside bias on headline inflation in the eurozone. But I suspect that the core rates are going to remain pretty soft for the simple reason we talked about before. I mean, output prices really aren't going anywhere. Wages aren't going anywhere. Um, the ECB itself is admitting that first quarter eurozone economy is probably going to be negative again, in which case we're talking about a second double dip recession. So there's an awful lot of you know, downside pressure on prices. The only way I think it would would see a significant increase would be if the kind of disruptions we've got to supply chains, and I guess it's not just true of Europe or the UK, but you know, globally in general, if a disruption to supply chains caused by COVID lead to you know, an increase in prices from that side of it. Uh, we've seen these lengthening you know, delivery times pretty well wherever you want to look in any survey now. And it may ultimately perhaps you know, come through into product prices. But unless you see you know, strength in demand, then presumably it's not going to be accommodated for too long anyway. Mm. Oh, speaking of which, on the calendar we have Chinese uh, CPI yeah. and PPI coming up um, Wednesday morning Chinese time. So that'll be Tuesday evening um, European and North American time, and they're looking for a big increase on a monthly basis for the um, for both. I think um, now they've been fluctuating, fluctuating. Uh, but their year-on-year -year levels are dead flat, and they're expected not to change. Yeah, so I, I think they do the, get the yeah you get seasonal factors at the beginning. You're of getting the, year, the, the, new, the lunar new year, year and maybe the beginning of the the initial COVID, because this is going to be data for January for China. And the other aspect, so, I mean, think big picture. I mean, if you look around the world at the moment, you have to pick an economy which is actually doing better than most. Yeah. And presumably where you've got to go, China. And yeah. yet, I'm looking at this consensus number we have in Economy Day's calendar. I mean, year-on-year -year consensus is minus 0.1%. Well, if the best performing economy in the world can only get inflation rate of minus 0.1%, uh -huh. it does kind of make you wonder, well, where's the rest of the inflation going to come from? Well, you know, in a way, the uh, if we go back to the stock market, they're pricing in inflation is what they're really. That's kind of like what the bonds are doing when they go up. There, it's a, it's a, it's you know, pricing in this this large inflationary up move in the global economy, at least in Asia and the U.S. Um, whether that uh, unfolds is still in question, and if it doesn't unfold. You can't expect to get any more stimulus from uh, the governments or, or, or the monetary authorities. What's going to keep that alive if not actual uh, improvement in output? And I guess, if we don't, I, don't I, I guess it's partly to do with the way the – I don't know, but I'm looking at the way these yield curves are shaping up. So although, yes, I mean, inflation expectations are, are going up, but I mean, real yields have hardly moved. 
So we're not getting increased real borrowing costs, which is good news as far mm. as the stock market's concerned. So, I mean, from the shape of the yield curves, it sort of suggests that you know, expectations certainly are that inflation is going to go up, but it's not going to take off. So that's a, that's not a huge negative for the longer end. There's also this belief that central banks are not in a hurry to raise interest rates. That's not to say they can allow intra, you know, inflation to go through the roof. Can't do that. But they would be prepared to say inflation to move above target you know, for a while. So I think it's kind of so long as investors believe in that sort of scenario, then although, I mean, you look at stock market, well, yes, they've got to be overpriced. Surely they're going to come down at some point. But so long as this belief that the longer end of the market is going to keep rising over time and increasing longer dated borrowing costs and the shorter end of borrowing costs is being kind of limited by what the Fed or the Bank of England or the ECB is doing, then it's not as negative for the stock market as it might be. Um, but yeah, who knows? I guess guess we'll have to wait to so see. So where do you see long rates going? I mean, do you, do you see them uh, holding it? Uh, I think I think that I think they're going to go a bit higher at least over near term. I think you know, there's enough inflation believers who will get um, positive data for them coming out of the headline inflation numbers to be able to say, well, look, I told you inflation is going up. Um, so I think from that side, I mean, it will put some upside pressure on yield curves. And presumably, we're also going to start to see, you know, reduced quantitative easing coming through at some point as well. And to the extent that, you know, all the central bank buying of these bonds has helped to keep yields depressed. I mean, that's the whole mm-hmm. point of it in the first place. Mm-hmm. That unwind, unwind as well. But I can't, I can't say, unless we're actually going to see inflation really take off, I can't see these, you know, these yield curves, the longer ends going up, you know, a, a lot, a great deal more. Yield curves will steepen, I think, yes, but I'm not convinced. We're talking about you know yields going back to anywhere you know, near where they used to be. Well, you know what we're really not talking about is the beginning of the tapering. Um, I'm mm. sure that no one really wants to talk about it, but it, it, it's going to have to happen sometime. And then what would happen to these markets without a fundamental economic support, um, you know, and 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 and, and levels of of uh, actual health and growth. Um, yeah. We would, you know, it's, I mean, no one wants to talk about it. And, and it's like the Bank of England, um, it seems, I mean, did uh, aside from the negative rate, which has a, a very dovish feel to it, like they're proposing, let's look at this in six months. How did the rest of the statement read? Did it, did it sound neutral or even hawkish? Well, I'll say it sounded, to be honest, I was surprised just quite how positive the underlying tone seemed to be. Because you know, going into this meeting, you know, the real, the only question mark seemed to be, well, are they going to ease again in some shape or form? And was clearly a minority in the market who strongly believed that well, interest rates are going to go negative. So the, ex, you know, the general expectation was that uh, you know, at most hawkish flat and quite possibly it's going to come out with some form of ease. As it turned out, they seem to, at all intents and purposes, you know, just about shut the door on the idea of negative interest rates, at least over the foreseeable future. Um, they're quantitative easing. Well, to be fair to them, they can keep buying bonds at the current rate. and They've got no pressure on their current ceiling until what back end of August or September time. But what they did do was to rise up and certainly sound significantly more optimistic about the medium term outlook. Mm-hmm. Now, they've revised down the first quarter growth number. They're now looking for a contraction of about 4% or so. So not a great start to the year in terms of that. But that's all due to COVID and the fact that you know, the lockdown has been extended and so on, the usual kind of, you know, of culprits. But because of the speed of the vaccine rollout, 
they're now getting quite optimistic about how the UK economy is going to perform second half of this year and certainly as we start going into 2022. Mm-hmm. So it would seem, you know, looking around central banks, who's going to be amongst the first to taper? Well, well you know, that's because the, the Reserve Bank of, of Australia and India met last week. And, and that sounds very familiar or similar to the um, RBA's announcement where they raised their um, – GDP forecasts uh, kind of kept inflation in, in line, and and they said the uh, recovery is now uh, well underway. And then they started talking about how they're going to keep all this stimulus in place for as long yeah, as they that's possibly that's can. Yeah, extended extended their quantitative easing for another year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, at the same time they're they're saying that um, you know uh, the economy is well underway, and in India uh, uh, the recovery, and now in India they passed on uh, an opportunity. Um, to cut rates, uh, inflation had come down. It's very high over there. I think it's six percent or something, but it's it, or, or lower, but just a bit below that maybe. But um, it came back within their range, um, and so you know, uh, uh, it's interesting what's going on. I, I, I get a feeling that maybe um, there is this going to be this moment when um, you know tapering is going to start and. And uh, when that happens, however far away, everything changes. So, Yeah, and you may be right. It may be this is how we've talked before about now. How on earth do you communicate the idea of tapering without triggering some almighty collapse in the market? And mm-hmm. perhaps that's how you do it. You gradually start talking the idea of, look, the economy's not doing great, but it's not doing so badly now. And kind of, by the way, we're getting a bit more confident about the future. And you start dripping it early into the system. So as and when you announce a tapering, you know, mm-hmm. the markets have come to think, well, actually, they should probably really be tapering now anyway. Uh-huh. And you try or, and sell it in that kind of way. Or will it inevitably be an aha moment that they've been it's, talking about a topic? And then when you really realize it. Yeah, I know. It's going to be interesting. I must say, you want my money for tapering this year was going to be on the Bank of Canada. But they had a, a really lousy January employment report that had um, employment down what, almost 213,000 in the month of January. And that was their worst performance since, uh, well, last April, so just after the start of COVID. Um, but, you know, but again, we're still talking about a Bank of Canada, which seems cautiously optimistic you know, that the, the second half and, and next year is going to be good. So I guess... Bank of Canada tapering is still going to be you know, one of the first of the, at least the major central banks. And that, and that could be, yeah, that could, interesting point. It could, it might not be one of the major central banks. It could be, um, you know, the Bank of New Zealand or, or something like that that comes out of the blue that, to wake everybody up with yeah. uh, some kind of a, a tapering move. And it almost doesn't matter which central bank you are in, does it? Because as soon as someone mm-hmm. does it, oh, who's going to be next? Who's going to be mm-hmm. next? Okay. Um, anything else from your side? No, it's just a lot of exciting inflation news. So Watch this space, and indeed, particularly the US CPI tomorrow. Okay, then, let's wrap it up there. On behalf of Mark and myself, thanks, as always, for listening. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, of course, you can keep up to date with all the key market moving data and events in Econoday's global economic calendar. Bye for now. <laughs>